Welcome to the Painesville Assembly of God podcast. We're always encouraged to know God is working through this ministry to touch lives. So if you have a story to share of how God is working in your life, please let us know by sending us an email at info at Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. Well, a family during the Great Depression was unable to afford uh, much of anything except the bare necessities. And one day, news had come to town that, uh, that the circus was coming. They had heard the circus was coming to town, and uh, tickets at that point cost $1 a ticket. And so there was a little boy who was really, really excited, and he came running home and asking his dad for money and said, please, can I have a dollar so that I can buy a ticket to go to the circus? Now, for many of us, a dollar doesn't sound like much, but for that family, it was a whole lot. And the, the father reluctantly didn't have much, and he told his boy he couldn't provide that much money. But he offered them this. He said, if you'll go out and find some odd jobs and begin to work, I'm sure that, that you can earn the money. And if you earn a certain amount of money, I'll match it. And, uh, and I'll be able to match it. And then you can get the ticket to go to the, uh, to the circus. So the boy walked, uh, he, he, he worked some odd jobs and went out. And, uh, and he, he made enough money that he was able to purchase the ticket on his own. And just as the dad had promised, he matched what the boy has made. So the boy was able to buy the ticket. And so he, he, he went out and he get, ran off and he bought his ticket to the circus. And he was so excited. And so the day that the circus came to town, he grabbed his ticket and he rushed to Main Street and he stood on the curb as the the circus parade began to come down the street and as he did he began to see the clowns and the elephants and all the performers as they began to make their way down the street and one of the clowns began to dance his way over to the boy and the boy in his excitement took out his ticket and he handed the ticket to the clown and the clown took his ticket and went eagerly down as the parade went by Well, after the parade, the boy rushed home. He was so extremely excited, he told his father about the circus and how much fun it was. But his father was a little bit surprised because he said, I wonder why you're back so soon. How did you, you, tell me, describe your experience. What did you see? And uh, and so the boy began to describe the parade down Main Street and he described uh, everything, the animals that he had seen and he described how the clown came dancing over and how he took his ticket and he proudly had, had put it in the hands of the clown and his father said, oh son, oh son, you didn't see the circus, you saw the parade. Why do I share that? Because when it comes to Christmas, there are so much that we get caught up in the parade and we miss the main event. We get caught up in the lights and we get caught up in the nostalgia. We get caught up in the decorations. We get caught up in the shopping. We get caught up in the the Christmas movies and the Christmas music. And we get caught up in all of those wonderful things. And yet we we can see all of that and get caught up in the parade and think that's what Christmas is all about. But friends, there's a main event that is so much more than that. There's a main event. And that's why we're talking about this series, Rediscover Christmas. There's a single word that comes up around Christmas time, and we find it in many of the songs that we sing about Christmas. We find it that those songs come out of the different passages within the Gospels about the Christmas story, and the word is joy. Joy. We sing songs like, joy to the world, the Lord is come, right? We also have songs like, oh, come all ye faithful joyful and triumphant see joy 
joy, right? Shepherds, why this jubilee? Why your joyous strains prolong joy? There it is in that one too. Joyful all ye nations rise, join the triumphs o'er the skies, with angelic hosts proclaim, Christ is born in Bethlehem. You see, Christmas is all about joy. It's in the songs that we sing, and it's in the things that, that, that the verses that we read about. Christmas is all about joy. And as we look at the Christmas story in the Gospels, we see that joy is referenced so many times. In fact, joy is a, a trait that we're going to be exploring today on the third Sunday here of Advent. And as a reminder, uh, Advent simply means coming or arrival. It was the celebration of the promise of God that he was promising a Messiah would come. And Jesus was the fulfillment of that promise, that coming, that arriving, that expectation, that hope, and that anticipation and longing. And just like that first longing, that first Advent, so today as we celebrate and remember that first advent that links the past, we also are remembering here in the present that there is a future coming that has been promised, that Jesus Christ promises that he's going to come again. How many of you think that's good news? Amen. That's good news. And so we're remembering that advent as well. It offers us the opportunity again to share in that ancient longing in the midst of a very dark and troubling time that a Messiah had come and that Jesus fit his promise, and if he did it then, he will do it again. Amen? He'll do it again. So we're waiting. And so we've been looking at different attributes of God during Advent. The first week we looked at hope, and we talked about the importance of hope. Last week we talked about peace, and what is peace? What does peace mean? So I encourage you, go back and listen to those messages if you haven't. But today, we're going to take a look at another trait. We're going to look on how to rediscover the joy of Christmas, how to rediscover joy in the midst of our discouragements, in the midst of our difficulties and hardships that we might be experiencing and the pain that we experience today. And so we're going to look at two stories today as we've been looking at different characters within the Christmas story. We're going to look at two stories that actually link up. We're going to take a look at a couple of characters by the name of Zechariah and Elizabeth. And if you know anything about Scripture and you've heard about John the Baptist, this was the parents of John the Baptist. We're going to take a look at their story, and then we're going to link that to Mary, the mother of Jesus, when the angel appeared to her today. And in this, we're going to, we're going to discover or rediscover, so to speak, uh, how to find joy in our discouragement. So the story begins in Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 5, and it says this, in the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. So we learn some things here in this passage. What we learn is We've got two folks here, Zachariah and Elizabeth, that are both descendants of the priestly lineage. Both of them come from priestly families. Both of them are descendants within a priestly, priestly family. Also, we learn something about the time frame. Right in the beginning, it says, in the time of Herod, king of Judea. In the time of Herod. Now, Herod was an interesting king. If you know anything about Herod, who ruled over the southern area or southern region of Judea under the Romans, they allowed Herod to, to reign. 
And Herod was a king. In fact, uh, history tells us that some things about Herod. One, that Herod was an amazing builder. During his time, Herod had, a, had a, a constructed many, many archaeological buildings that if you go over to Jerusalem today, if you go over to Israel today, you'll still see some of the, the, the structures that he built or some of the, the, those things, some of the relics are still today of some of the amazing things that he built. In fact, one of the things that he built was the temple in in Jerusalem. Now that temple was destroyed in AD 70 and, uh, and it had been prophesied about Jesus. It was the one that as the disciples were marveling about, Jesus said, listen, you marvel about this temple, but not one stone will be left upon another. And it's that temple that, that, that Herod had built and it was a magnificent temple, a magnificent structure in the center of worship within Jerusalem. In fact, today, the west wall of that temple, if you go to Jerusalem today, is what's called the Wailing Wall, the very foundational wall of that is the Wailing Wall, and that started as Herod's temple. But you know, as much as his construction feats were, Herod was also a very ruthless king. In fact, he was wealthy and he was also paranoid. Just to kind of give you a little bit of an idea, Herod was married to his first wife and he married her out of political reasons to gain political gain, but he didn't really like her. He, he didn't like her at all, and they had had a child together, a son together, and because he didn't like her, he sent her away to another country where he never saw her again, where she, she and her son could be away from him. And then it allowed him to be able to open up the door to marry someone else that he really liked, his second wife. He loved, he loved dearly. He loved his second wife dearly, but so much, but because of his paranoia and because of his ruthless nature uh, that he had, he began to conjure up things that she was cheating on him, that she was having an adulterous affair on him, even though she wasn't. But he believed that so much so that he ended up having her killed, even though he loved her so much because he thought she was cheating on him. Beyond that, they had two sons together, and he had thought that those two sons were conniving and that they were going to take over the kingdom, and so he had both of them killed. He was paranoid. He was ruthless. So much so that you might remember that when the Magi from the east had saw the star and they came to see where the child was who had been born and he asked about his, well, where is this child? Where is this Messiah to be born? And they said, Bethlehem in Judea. He was so paranoid that this Messiah would take over his place as king that he not only sought to kill that child, but also he said, kill every baby boy to and under. He was ruthless. It was, a, it was a ruthless time. It was a dark time when Jesus had arrived under this king, Herod. And this is where our story, uh, Luke kind of gives us the introduction to this story. And so in that context, then we get introduced to Zechariah and Elizabeth. And again, they're living in a very dark time politically under a paranoid, ruthless, megalomaniac king. In addition to this, we learn something very personal and painful about this couple. We see it in the next verse, starting in verse 6 of Luke chapter 1. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But listen to this, but they were childless, because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. So what again, we see Zachariah and Elizabeth both come from a priestly family, and in that day, that is something very special in a day when there was a lot of religious corruption that was going on. Power plays by the Pharisees, by the Sadducees. But Zechariah and Elizabeth stand in stark contrast to this. And Luke points this out for a reason. He says they were righteous. They were blameless. 
and they were faithful. Why is that so important against the backdrop? Because what he drops on us is something really important culturally to understand. Barrenness is extremely painful even today if you are desiring to have a child and you are unable to have a child as a family and you're desiring that. That's extremely painful today. But back then, the people there believed that perhaps you had a curse on you by God. Perhaps your family was cursed. Perhaps you were cursed. Perhaps there was something wrong with you or you had sinned against God and that's the reason that you were unable to bear a child. It was extremely painful not only because the desires that you have for a family and the desire that you have to have a a, a baby are not being met, but also because the culture around began to look on you, particularly in a priestly culture, and they thought that perhaps there was something wrong. Perhaps you had sinned against God where you or your family had been cursed with barrenness. Your your generation, your family lineage was not to go on. But see, Luke says that's not the case. Luke says don't judge it by that because he says that Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous. They were blameless. They were faithful. They were faithful. And from this, we learn about some truths about finding joy in our discouragement. You see, they were extremely discouraged But what we learn about this is God gives joy even in the darkest of times. Even in the darkest of times. That was a dark time, not only politically, but personally for them. It was a very dark time. And yet God brings joy in the midst of the darkest times. The story continues. Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 8. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Outside. Now, let me just pause for a moment to give you some context. Again, Zechariah is a priest of the Lord, and he's living in a town that's about four miles southeast of Jerusalem. And, uh, and this was a very special day for him because there was probably an estimated 18,000 priests that could have been chosen to be able to do this. And there were special duties that they were, they were assigned by a casting of lots. And it just so happened, how many in like those circumstances, it just so happened? You know, those coincidental circumstances? Let me tell you something, God's in control, all right? The coincidental circumstances just so happened that that lot happened to fall to his family and happened to fall to him as priest. And so this was a wonderful opportunity, a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for Zechariah at this time to go into the temple and to be able to offer the sacrifices. It wasn't something that everybody got to do. It just so happened that this fell to him. So this is one of those amazing times. And so here is Zechariah awake on that morning, going in, and he's about to experience something that he'll remember the rest of his life. Little did he know that it would be so much more than what he anticipated that day. Take a look in verse 11. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel of the Lord said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you are to call him John and he will be a joy and delight. Joy! joy and delight to you and many will look at this rejoice that is to have joy again like remember to remember once again to have joy rejoice because of his birth see in the midst of the darkest days 
In the midst of those days, dark politically and dark personally, here in the midst of that, God brings joy. Friends, God brings joy in the midst of our darkest times. 2020 might be a dark time. It might be a dark time politically. It may be a dark time when it comes to you personally. But let me encourage you today that in the midst of the darkest times, that's when God shows up and that's when God brings joy. God shows up. He says, you'll bear a son. It will be a joy and a delight to you. You'll rejoice once again. You'll rejoice. Again, Zachariah and Elizabeth had remained faithful, faithful even in the dark times. God was bringing joy in the midst of the darkest days. You see, in these dark days, friends, do not give up hope. I want to encourage you, remain faithful. They remained faithful even in the dark times. For God's able to bring us joy in the midst of our darkest days. God can bring joy. You see, after years of praying and praying and asking the Lord for a child, I'm sure that at this point they thought that all hope was gone. In fact, as Luke opens, it says that they were unable to have a child and they were very old. Who does that sound like? It sounds like Abraham. Doesn't Abraham and Sarah in the Old Testament? And yet God shows up and, and gives the news, your prayers have been heard. Your prayers have been heard. You're going to have a child. Your prayers have been heard. Let me encourage you today. Don't give up on what you're praying for. Don't give up on what you're praying for. There are some of you, you you're like Zachariah and Elizabeth. Perhaps you think, I've been praying and praying and praying. I've been praying for that wayward son or daughter of mine for so long. I've been praying for so I'm not seeing any change. God, are you working? God, are you moving? I've been praying. God, you're going to open up a door. You haven't opened up a door. God, I'm, I'm praying. I'm believing. God, I've been praying for so long that, that, that you're going to bring breakthrough in my life. You're going to bring breakthrough in my marriage. I've been praying. I just don't see it. I just think we might be past that season. I don't think that's an opportunity. Listen, don't stop praying. Don't stop praying. You see, what the angel said is, do not be afraid. Your prayers have been answered. What does that say? That says to me that, that Zechariah had been discouraged. That Zechariah perhaps had thought, yeah, I don't know if the Lord's going to answer this one. It might be just past that. Friends, let me encourage you. Don't stop praying. Don't stop believing. God is able to do something even in the midst of the dark times. Don't stop praying. Don't stop praying. I know that can bring great discouragement when you've been praying and praying and you're not seeing the answers. But friends, we sang about it this morning. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. Come on, what? You never stop. You never stop working. You never stop. You never. Come on, is that just a song that we sing or is that something that needs to get down in our spirit and believe this morning, friends? Come on. Secondly, find joy in our discouragement. God gives us joy despite our doubts and fears. God can bring joy despite your doubts and fears. Let me continue the story in verse 18. Zechariah asked the angel. <laughs> so the angel says to him, your prayers have been answered. You're going to have a child. He's going to bring you great joy. But Zechariah is not quick to believe. Look at what he says. He says, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. Again, Lord, I don't know if I can believe this. I, I don't know if this news can be true. Listen, these are the circumstances. These are the things in front of me. These are the things that I can see. Father, I'm a realist. I'm a reality. This is a realist moment for me. You're saying this, but I don't see how this can be. We are past that season. Our time has passed. 
But the angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you the good news. And you will be silent and not able to speak until the day it happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. So a little bit, a little bit, a little bit of a lesson here. But here's what I want you to understand. See, what we see is, is we see him asking a question. How can I be sure of this? And we're going to look at Mary later on in, in this message. And Mary asks a similar question, but there's a different response. Why? Why is there a different response? Because it appears that Zachariah's doubt seems to come from a place of years of disappointment. Mary was just more so of shock and like, I, I, you know, I'm, I, hey, I'm a virgin. I'm not sure how this is going to happen. I, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to figure, I can't even figure out this. Where Zechariah, what he's sharing comes from a place of pain, comes from a place of, of years of discouragement that we have. They prayed year after year and nothing, and we don't know what had happened. Perhaps there were times where a little bit of hope had been given. Perhaps there was a conception and then a miscarriage. We don't know if that happened multiple times. We don't know the situation. We know that, that, that Elizabeth was barren, and we know that, that there was pain that was involved, years of pain and years of discouragement, and, and perhaps he had just resigned himself. At least that's what it, it seems to say here. It's, I'm an old man, and, and, and my wife was well along in here. He's very careful to be a little PC here. He's not going to say my wife is old. I'm an old man. My wife is well along in years. I mean, this is a guy of wisdom, all right? <laughs> but what it, what it says to me is he's kind of resigned himself to saying, okay, well, that, that, that prayer is not going to be answered that time. I don't know if I want to get my hopes up again. God, I prayed and prayed and you haven't answered. I don't know if I want to get my hopes up again. I, I don't know if I want to do that. And perhaps that's where you're at. There's doubt that has come in your life because you've been disappointed. You felt years of discouragement. You, you're, you're struggling to trust and believe God because things have happened and it just doesn't seem like God has been working. It doesn't seem like God has been moving. And so it's extremely difficult for you to, to, to trust. That's where, that's where Zachariah was at. And yet the angel shows up and says, listen, I'm, I, I stand in the presence of God, all right? I'm going to tell you this is going to come to be. Why? Because I stand in the very presence of God. I'm telling you, this is. This is one of those promises that is a yes and amen personal promise to you, Zachariah. But what it shows us is the realness of Zechariah. In fact, scholar N.T. Wright wrote this, Luke is careful not to dress up the story by making Zechariah a great hero of the faith. That's what I love about the Bible. God regularly works through ordinary people doing what they normally do, who with a mixture of half faith and devotion are holding themselves ready for whatever God has in mind. There are times when we doubt. There was a, a man who, who wanted Jesus to do a miracle, and Jesus says, well, do you believe? And he says, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. How many have ever found yourself in that situation? You want to believe. You do believe. There's something in you that believes, but yet there's a little bit of doubt because of years and years of waiting and years and years of discouragement and disappointment that build up, and you want to believe, but I don't know if I can believe. You see, that's kind of where Zachariah is, but the Bible doesn't blow him up as a hero of the faith, but makes him an everyday person like you and I. He struggles with the same things that we do, but friends, even in the midst of the doubt, even in the midst of the fear, even in the midst of that kind of a situation, God can show up and bring joy. God can bring joy. And, and, and look at what happens. He was faithful. God was faithful and, 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 and to what he told. It says this in verse 23, when his time of service was completed, 
He returned home. And after this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. And then she said this, the Lord has done for me. She said, in these days he has shown me, the Lord has done this for me. In these days he has shown me his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. Interesting details. Elizabeth becomes pregnant, right? But she's in seclusion for five months. In other words, she's not letting everybody know. She's not going public. Why? She's saying, all right, (laughs) my husband can't speak, but I'm sure he's writing things down or doing some sign language or something. He's communicating, letting me know, hey, this is going to happen. It's kind of happened, but can I really trust this? Can I really believe this? Can I really trust this? And for five months, she waits before she goes public with what has happened. She's waiting. Why? Because she doesn't want to experience disappointment again. And yet in her heart, that month after month after month after month, and by the fifth month, man, her heart is so full that finally she's ready to receive the joy that God has given her, that she's ready to receive it after that time. In these days, oh, the Lord is showing me his favor. But it took a little bit of time. Friends, sometimes it takes a little bit of time. You've been struggling to find joy for so long that sometimes it takes a little bit of time for you to be able to trust that God is doing what he said he would do. That God does what he said he would do. Please know, God brings joy even when we struggle with doubt, friends. Thirdly, God brings joy in unexpected ways. Luke now shifts in chapter 1. Luke shifts from, from uh, down in the, in the south towns of Judea down up to the north area of Galilee to a town in the region of Galilee called Nazareth. It's a small village of about 100 people. Let me tell you a little backdrop about uh, Nazareth. This was not the famous town. In fact, it didn't even end up on the ledgers at that time in Galilee. Uh, when they were doing the ledgers, this town didn't even show up. It was so small. This little village was so small small, didn't even show up. There was a town just to the north of it by the name of Sephoris, and, and it was a beautiful place. It was a place they had uh, just grand homes and, and, and very wealthy people, and, and Nazareth was one of those places where those that came to serve, those that were the servants, those were the slaves, those were the people that, that they, they worked for the people in Sephoris. They, made, they, they were their servants, and so they would go back to, to Nazareth, and that's where they would live. They were kind of the expendables. They were the, the most unlikely people. They were the poor ones and they probably worked and served for that wealthy town. But it's in this town that there's a young teenage girl who's pledged to be married and and, uh, out of the blue, she has her world turned upside down in an unexpected way. Luke chapter one, starting in verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel went to her and said this, greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Now, there's a connection here that we see to Elizabeth. This isn't a story out on its own. It's, a, it's not unrelated. So Elizabeth remains secluded for five months, and, uh, and then, she received, then, then we see in the sixth month, this is the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, so a month after she goes public uh, with that, all of a sudden, something unexpected happens. Mary, who Luke is careful to tell us is a virgin, receives an unexpected visit and a greeting. Those of you who were brought up Catholic, you know this greeting better as, Hail, full of grace, the Lord is with with you. Hail full of grace, the Lord is with you. You see, why do they use the term grace? Because the, the word greeting uh, here is, is charitu, grace. 
and, and it may, or the word for favor, I'm sorry, is chorito, grace, which also means favor, gift, and grace benefit. In fact, in Strong's Concordance, as I looked this up, it said joy liberality. Joy liberality. And why do I say this? Because then greeting or hail is also a form of the word grace, charis, which translated, can also be translated rejoice. So literally, this could read the angel's greeting to Mary, rejoice, you will be full of joy for the Lord is with you. Rejoice, you will be full of joy for the Lord is with you. Out of nowhere, unexpected, here's Mary just going along with her daily business and out of, the, out of this unexpected way, an angel announces joy. You're going to experience joy. There's great grace. There's great favor upon you. And as we move through this, Mary struggles to understand this. It says in verse 29, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. See, what Mary's struggling with is to understand what's happening. It says, what kind of greeting is this? And although we're, we're not, uh, th- that she's told not to be afraid, when the angel unfolds God's plan, I, I have a feeling this was very wonderful and yet very overwhelming for this young teenage girl, Mary, to try to comprehend. Have you ever had that where somebody shares with you something and you have to take a moment to take it all in because you're just not quite sure, is this good or is this bad? Is this good news? You're telling me this is good news. Is this good news or is this not good news? And, and so she's kind of overwhelmed. Again, why? She's from this unknown village. She has her life ahead of her. She's planning for her wedding. She's trying to get everything ready. And all of a sudden, she's told that she's going to conceive and give birth to a son, even though she's not really been with a man and her marriage hasn't been consummated yet, hasn't been finished yet. What is this kind of greeting? In fact, Luke one thirty four. how will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? And where Zachariah's question pointed again to a mere backdrop against uh, facing disappointment after disappointment and discouragement and doubt, uh, Mary is much deeper. For the angel tells her she's found favor with God. She's to rejoice in what the Lord is asking of her. But I want you to understand that what she is being asked and what's being asked is not something that we would typically say, oh, yay, yes, this is joy. And it says that she was a little bit troubled. Why? Because of, of, the, of the circumstances. I mean, think about it for a moment. When we think of the Lord's blessing, when we think of the Lord's favor, what do we think of? We think of a life of ease, right? We oftentimes think everything is going well for me. I have my, my finances are going well. I'm blessed at my job. I have the favor of the Lord. I am blessed in my job. I, I, you know, my, my boss, and, and says, man, you're doing a great job. My, my family is blessed. My kids are doing well in school. Our health is really good. Everything is really good. My marriage is good. I have the favor of the Lord. When we think of the favor of the Lord, we think of good things. We think of things that are, that are just really, really good. But oftentimes, we see it as a life without difficulty or obstacles. But it's very different. See, this kind of news would bring pain in that day. You see, Mary, a virgin pledged to be married, found pregnant, considered unfaithful, could often face death. At least the the breakup of her potential marriage, because Joseph would say, that's not mine. And we know from, from that, because in Matthew 119, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to law, yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had a mind to divorce her quietly. How would she explain this? Who would believe her? What about the wedding plans? 
Well, how about her parents? Would they believe this? Would she experience their disappointment? Uh, would, 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 would all of her friends would probably turn their back on her. How could this be joy? How could this be the Lord's favor? I, I have my life in front of me. I have my plans. And what you're doing is interrupting my plans. How can this be the Lord's favor? How can this be the Lord's favor? And then later on, not to even know that one day she's going to watch her very son die and give his life. How can that be the Lord's favor? Understand, the favor of the Lord is... Is, is, is not about the things that we think. It's not about an obst- any obst- all obstacles going away. The favor of God is about being right in the middle of God's will. That's the favor of God. It's about being in the middle of God's will, and that's not always an easy road. The favor of the Lord and discovering true joy comes by walking a difficult path of obedience. So often we miss the true joy that's being offered to us because all we see are the problems, but God brings joy in unexpected ways. Don't miss that. You say, well, how do you, how do you believe that, Pastor? Well, let's go back to another guy in the Old Testament by the name of Joseph. How many remember Joseph in the Old Testament? This is not Mary's pledge to be husband, Joseph. This is Joseph, whose father was Jacob, later known as Israel. He had some brothers, and, uh, and, uh, and they got a little bit jealous of some dreams, and they said, we're going to do away with this guy, and, and uh, our father just loves him too much, and so we're going to snuff out this opportunity, throw him in a pit sold him to some slaves that were going by, Ishmaelite traders. He was sold into the house of Potiphar as a slave. He went from a son to a slave, but it says this, the Lord's favor was upon him. Why? Because he was in the middle of God's will. He, he saw the Lord's favor upon him, and just as things started to get a little better, all of a sudden he was falsely accused of rape, and he was thrown in jail. How many of you think, man, that's not the Lord's favor? How can that be the Lord's favor? But Scripture says that while he was there in the prison, the Lord's favor was upon him. How is that? Because he was right in the middle of God's will. Even though he had interpreted a dream and had been forgotten for two years, he was still in the middle of God's will, and it says the favor of the Lord was upon him. We need to rethink what the favor of the Lord means. For Mary, the favor of the Lord was going to mean pain. It was going to mean people would not believe her. It was going to mean an interruption to her life. But at the same time, it was going to bring joy because she would be in the middle of God's will. Friends, we need to reframe what it is to see the Lord's favor. We need to reframe what we find joy in because joy, true joy is found when we walk in the middle of God's will. And that may mean walking in pain. That may mean walking through difficult circumstances. That may mean that it's not always easy. It's not going to be an easy road. Friends, it doesn't mean that we don't have joy. James 1 says, take joy. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face what? Trials of many kinds. We need to rethink this. You got to rethink yourself a little bit. In these days, we can get so discouraged, but let me tell you something. God may want to bring joy in your unexpected moments because he wants you in the center of his will. And how does Mary respond? She says this, and this is so critical, Luke 138, I am the Lord's servant. Mary answered, may your word to me be fulfilled. Are you willing? If you want to experience joy, this is how you receive it. Lord, I'm your servant. I'm your servant. May it be to me, whatever it is, whatever the days ahead may walk, whatever the difficulties might be, whatever you have for me, Lord, I am your servant. 
You see, to receive the joy that God wants to bring in the midst of the darkest times, to be able to receive the joy in the midst of the doubt and the discouragement, to be able to receive the joy in an unexpected way, we have to be willing to surrender and submit and say, Lord, I surrender so that I can be in the middle of your plan, so that I can be in the middle of your will. That's where true joy comes from. True joy is found in surrender. It's found in surrender. It's found when we're willing to surrender. It's found in the, when we're willing to, to say, Lord, I'm, I have some unanswered prayers, but I'm not giving up. I'm not giving up. I'm not giving up. I'm going to remain faithful. I'm going to remain faithful. You know, I'm not sure if I can, if I, I'm kind of doubting a little bit at the same time. You know, I do believe, Lord, I'm struggling with doubt, but you know what? I'm going to remain faithful and say, I'm your servant. I want to be in the middle of your will. It may come out of an unexpected moment, or it may be in the midst of some very painful things that are going to reroute your life, where your life is headed and it seems so good, and then God says, hold on, I got a different plan. It's going to be a little difficult for you, but are you willing to surrender? Are you willing to walk in my plan, even though it might be difficult, even though it might take some perseverance? Are you willing to walk? Because I guarantee when you're in the middle of my plan, you will experience my joy. You'll experience my joy. So friends, I want to encourage you today. I'm going to ask the worship team to come. Do you need joy today? Are you discouraged? Do you need to rediscover joy? Do you need to rediscover what it is to, 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 to discover those, that joy that is there? Do you need to rediscover joy? I want to close with this a touching story that I read about a poor country family, poor country children that were eagerly awaiting their father's uh, arrival from the foundry. He was coming home, and they, they, they waited every year because at Christmas he would bring some presents and goodies, and he would bring a fresh Christmas tree home. But this year, his dad had been laid off. He had been very disappointed and discouraged, and, and so as he walked in without a tree, the kids experienced some disappointment as well, and they still held out hope. You know what? We know our dad. Our dad does this every year. He's going to bring us a tree. And so their dad decided he would get creative, and so he went out to the garage, and he emerged sometime later carrying uh, what looked to be uh, two by four, about five feet tall, with holes drilled on the side. And he went down the street to the neighbor's house. And their property was bordered on three sides by a row of evergreens, and so he asked for permission to cut some of the branches off of those trees, which he then brought home, and he inserted them into the hole of his two-by-four that he had to try to create a tree. It wasn't much of a tree, by no stretch of the imagination, but, you know, while the kids were still trying to deal with their disappointment, the little girl who grew up to write the story began looking out the window, and she was praying, and as she did, uh, there was uh, a knock at the door. There was a knock at the door, and a woman who owned the property down the street that he asked permission to cut the branches had been there, and she had one of the biggest, most beautiful Christmas trees of all that the children have ever seen. The woman kindly presented the children with a number of small presents, and it meant a lot to them that year. And she says this, every year that she was growing up, the woman who wrote the story here saw a gaping hole and the row of evergreen trees around her neighbor's property. And every time she looked, she remembered that act of kindness and how God had answered her prayer. And I share that because let me ask you something. What would have happened if the woman down the street had cut down the tree and come to the door and the, 
father would have said, no, I'm sorry, we can't accept that gift. I'm sorry, we can't accept that from you. I'm sorry, we're not going to take that from you. I'm sorry, we, we, we won't do that. They would have never been able to receive the joy and had the memory year after year of how God had provided for them. So friends, what I'm telling you is that if you want to find joy in your discouragements today, you've got to be willing to receive it. Jesus is offering you joy. First, he's offering the joy that comes with salvation. But you've got to be willing to receive it. You say, well, I want to pay for my sins. You don't have to pay for your sins. Jesus did. You have to receive his gift that will bring joy. You just have to receive it. You have to receive it. And so I want to ask today, is there anybody this morning or maybe watching online today and you need to receive the joy of salvation today? You want to receive the gift of salvation today. Will you slip up your hand today? I want to receive the gift of salvation today. I want to receive his joy. If you're watching online, just mention in the comments that you'd like to receive Christ. Ask for prayer today or just email us, info at painsvilleag.com. We'd want to connect with you. Secondly, are you here today? Are you discouraged? Do you need joy in your life? Maybe you need joy online. Just write write a prayer request. I need joy. We want to pray for you today. Anybody, I need joy. I need joy. I need joy. I've been facing discouragements and difficulties, and I need joy. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today that you bring joy to our lives, joy in the midst of our discouragements, joy in unexpected ways, joy in the darkest of times. Father, I just pray that today, Lord, you would give joy to those, Lord, that need the joy of salvation. We do what Mary did. We surrender ourselves to you. We ask you, Lord, to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us today. We invite you, Jesus, into our lives today to give us joy joy of salvation. Father, I pray those that are discouraged, disappointed, those that have been waiting and praying and not seen answers, that Father, you will bring joy in the midst of discouragement. We love you today and we bless you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. We pray that you are encouraged and strengthened by God's word. For more information about Painesville Assembly of God, please visit PainesvilleAG.com.